welcome to the live broadcast of Black Mentors Podcast. Hello and welcome to Black Mentors Podcast, where we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truths of black males from all social economic backgrounds. We also advocate for positive images and narratives of black males in all forms of media. I'm your host, Rodney Harmon, and we are joined today by our guest, Pastor Jonathan Sublett. Pastor Sublett is a lead pastor at the Highcrest Campus of Fellowship Bible Church and the board chairman of Sent Topeka. Welcome, Pastor. Hey, welcome. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me to do this, Rodney. You're definitely welcome, sir. Uh, tell us, a, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am uh, a little fat boy that was raised in the South Oak Cliff neighborhood of Dallas, Texas. Uh, grew up there, um, lived a slight bit uh, early on in, in Houston, but we moved back to Dallas, and that's where I, I grew up at. Went, uh, is, I'm a product of Dallas Independent School District and went off to the University of Tulsa to get my chemical engineering degree. After that, I graduated, moved down south of Houston, about an hour south of Houston, right on the coast, and lived there and worked as a chemical engineer, began Bible college, seminary, all those kind of deals. And, and worked for close to 13 years or a little bit over 13 years as a, um, as a chemical engineer project manager. Did some other things in the chemical engineering field and also in, in various different things in ministry. And so um, I have three kids uh, that we fostered to adopt. We started the foster process while we were in Texas and brought them with us and we just got to finalize the adoption. Uh, last August and so uh, that was a great time after several years of, of fostering them and um, I, I'm married it'll be five years on on the 31st of this year uh, 31st of December of this year New Year's Eve uh, to my wife Tricia she is a Kansas native and, and part of the reason we're, we're here she's from Western Kansas and uh, went to Manhattan Christian College is a big Wildcat fan of K-State and so okay. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Youngest of three kids, a single mom, and so uh, yeah. Okay. All right. You mentioned uh, being a little fat boy. Would, could you explain to our? Uh, I've heard your story before, but could you explain to our listeners what you meant by that? Oh man, I just when I look at it, uh, my life, my life is a series of just stories of of overcoming circumstances that. I can't explain how I got through them. And, I, I, and people ask, well, how did you get here? I was like, I'm just a, a little fat boy that, from South Oak Cliff that God has chosen to love on. And all along the way, I, I feel like what you're doing here with your platform is so important because when I tell the story of my life, it involves all these people that God strategically placed in my life that, that invested in me when they didn't have to. Okay. They took extra concern and care for me when they didn't have to. Um, and when I look at the difference between me and some of my friends and different things around me, um, there was there was nothing extra special about me. There was okay. there was I was I was just the ordinary kid in my neighborhood facing all the same things that all the other kids in my neighborhood faced. And for some reason. These people. Um, outside of my family decided to invest in me. Okay. And I, I get emotional even now thinking about like um, my sixth grade teacher 
told me I was going to go to college, told me I was going to get a scholarship, and I believed him. And that, and I decided I was going to go to college at that point. From that point on. Okay. Um, I, I had my, my seventh grade science class. They brought in engineers. And it was in that class I decided I was going to be an engineer. I had never heard of an engineer before. When they told me what they did, I decided that day in my science class that I was going to be an engineer. I, um, I went on a trip to visit some family in Plaquemine, Louisiana when I was in eighth grade. And I saw a, a sign that we passed that had a red diamond on it. And I remembered that red diamond from a bowl in my mom's kitchen. And I said, one day I'm going to work for that company and make a new plastic. Well, that company was Dow Chemical. And I end up graduating from college in 2002 and interviewing at that very same plant and working for that company. I had uh, my, my, my college counselor got all of my college applications paid for because I couldn't afford them. Okay. She, she got my, my, my tux paid for for a high school prom because I couldn't afford it, even though I was working on the weekends and stuff. When I tell you that I had in college... Um, I had people that pay for books. I had people that, like, all along the way, I just had people that invested in me. Um, like, one of the stories you, you've heard me tell is my sixth grade teacher grew up in, in my neighborhood, and he took me by a shotgun house. And if you don't know what that, that's a house that you can open up the front door and shoot through and go straight out the back door because of how it's shaped. All right. <laughs> and he said, that's where I grew up. And then he took us out to his house, which was a brick home with this nice manicured lawn. And, and we ate dinner with his family. And that was the first time that I uh, got to really eat dinner with a family around a table uh, uh, and see that other than the Cosby show. And that became my definition of rich. And I said, one day I'm going to be rich. And people were like, what does that mean? I said, one day I'm going to have a family. And, and we're going to eat dinner together. And so that, that getting people around tables has been something that has been a life goal and aim of mine that I've done wherever I've gone because that is so important. And so it, it's, it's those kind of investments that I've seen in my life that have made a difference. Okay. Now, uh, I know your story about being overweight. Uh, could you explain to our listeners that part of your story also? Yeah, I mean, um, I grew up, both of my parents, uh, when I was born, were morbidly obese. And it was just a, a kind of nature. I, I lived in a food desert. Okay. Uh, what we would decide, you know, is one of the things we're attacking here in the high crisp neighborhood. And a lot of low socioeconomic neighborhoods are food deserts where you don't have access or adequate access to um, healthy and nutritious food choices. A lot of times because of lack of transportation, there was a lot of times my family didn't have a car where we just used the bus or different things of that nature. And I, I, my mom has never owned a car in the same decade in which we were living kind of deal. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so I grew up in that environment, you know, not a lot of knowledge of what it means to eat healthy, what portion sizes should look like, or different things of that nature. I was incredibly active. But I just, one, I had some hereditary things that were on me. Yes. Just as, as, as an African-American male, um, there's some hereditary things that passed down. I'm the only member of my family on both sides that I know of that don't deal with high blood pressure. Okay. Um, diabetes is a real issue, and a lot of, I, I never had that. And But even with playing sports and being active, at my height, 
uh, of weight, I was up to 616 pounds. Okay. And I didn't even know I was that heavy. One, because I couldn't really find a scale that could, that yes, could weigh that me. Could weigh you. And in 2003, I had gastric bypass. And I really just said, man, I got to change because um, somebody told me, they said, I was a youth pastor at the time. And they said, man, no matter how many, how, no matter how smart you are, how much skills you have, like, you need your body to carry out what God is play, like, has in place for you. Yes. And, and then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, I'm leading these youth on mission trips and different things of that nature. And I'm like, I don't want my physical limitations to limit what God has for these students that I'm supposed to be leading. And then I was in um, seminary at the time and I was in a preaching class and we all get proverbs like your first message you have to preach a proverb and mine dealt with gluttony okay and, and you just randomly pick them like yes. you, you don't get like you kind of pick out of a hat pick out of a hat yeah and mine was on gluttony so i had to prep this message okay. and um it really impacted me i said things have to change and so i i i took the steps i was scared and, and afraid just because i didn't know took the steps, got the surgery, but then I started to change my life, man. I, I, I really radically changed. And, and even before the doctor I went through, they made you, you had to show that you could lose weight before the surgery. Yes. And so I was on liquids for like six weeks before the surgery, like liquids only. Yeah. I was working out. All I could do, I could go walk in the pool. And then I progressed to um, walking around my apartment complex at the time. And then I just, I got to the point where I was riding over 100 miles a week on my bike. I was working out five to six days a week in the mornings. I, I went to work out this morning. I still work out. I still try to eat healthy. My family, I intermittent fast now. I um, try to eat meat just once a day. Okay. Um, and, and I've lost over 350 pounds since 2003. I'm still on my journey, man. Still getting it because I have some little ones that I still need to be to beat in basketball for some years to come. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So basically, uh, would you say most of your life has been divine intervention or would you just, like you said, uh, is mainly just Jehovah basically placing people in your life for a certain situation? Oh, man. Like, I don't think it's either or. I think it's a both end. Okay. The divine intervention placed the people in my life. Okay. So, like, I grew up in, in the neighborhood I grew up in. I, I never knew anyone to retire. You no, know, no one ever had a career. They had jobs. Yes. They worked. You worked till you died. And so, when I got out of college, um, God placed me in a, in a church where those old deacons, man, they they taught me how to handle money. They taught me more about raising kids and being married and. and that was my first time really seeing people that had been married 40, 50 years. Yes. Successful marriages, man. I like I, I wish I could tell you that, that that's that was a part of my family's story, but it's not. And so God placed people in my life to give me a picture of what was possible that I couldn't see in my own lineage, where they don't know that they were putting seeds into my heart that God would continuously use other people to continue to grow through his spirit so that now I can live the life that I'm living. I, 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 when I graduated chemical engineer, I had to live in a Motel 6. I had no, I had zero money. I had to, at that time they were still giving cash, they were giving signing bonuses when you signed on the job. They don't yeah. even do that anymore. Yeah. And even with the signing bonus, I couldn't afford an apartment. 
I had no money. I had debt. Um, part of it was trying to buy clothes because I had internships and stuff in college. Part of it was trying to help at home, even while I was a college student. All these different things. But I was one semester of college. I had one pair of pants and couldn't afford a haircut. And I had four different jobs I was working. Wow. Taking 18 hours a semester, man, of chemical engineering, working, traveling with the football team. And um, I had all these things. I was living in a Motel 6. I had to get somebody to co-sign to get lights turned on in my apartment. I had to get um, a cash advance for my job and them to sign off to get an apartment. And, and I had to start working out of a hole. And like today, man, I live debt free except for my house. Me and my wife both debt free. We've we've been that way. Like we were both that way before we met each other. Yes. Um, and it took just some learning, and I couldn't do that on my own. And, and it took some people coming around me, and then yeah, I I had to do some work too, right? They 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 didn't do it all for me. Yes. But what they did is they planted some seeds and showed me the way, and they were willing to stand by me. For instance. When I was at my heaviest weight, I had friends who, instead of saying, you need to lose weight, they were like, hey, John, man, um, what's your trigger times that you normally go off your diet because of something or whatever? And I would tell them. And so they would call me or text me during those times to make sure I was okay. They would come give me and say, hey, man, let's go, let's go hit some golf balls or, or go, man, I, I need to talk about something. When you come walk with me and talk with me about something. And, when they knew things that I could eat and things that I couldn't eat on my diet plan. And so when we went out to eat, they wouldn't order stuff that I couldn't eat so that I wouldn't look at their plate and envy their plates. Okay. Those are friends, man. Those yes. are people that Those God put around yes. you that's on your team. Yes. That are willing to sacrifice for your good. And that's what I've had my entire life. Okay. All right. Now, uh, as far as you pastoring, were you did you choose to pastor or were you called to pastor and i always ask pastors that because there is a difference you know what when i look at scripture i think it's a both and once okay. again i think it's a both and um the scriptures talk about you know if, if someone chooses the duty of, of being a pastor or being an elder that they deserve double honor kind of deal there's a there's a calling and there's a a, a choice in that okay. right um and so has God, so when you say a uh, call, has God shaped and gifted me in some ways that equipped me for what I'm doing now? Yes. You know, everything is God given. My shape, um, the experiences I've had, the gifts I have, everything comes from God. There, there's nothing that I have that he hasn't given me. Okay. Um, now, in that, here's the deal. I believe that... When I worked in the chemical in the chemical plants, everywhere I worked in the chemical plants, I led people to Christ. In every plant I worked in, I led people to Christ. I was discipling that. I didn't have to go get a job um, being in vocational ministry to do ministry. Yes. I I was doing ministry in in the in my secular job because everyone is a minister, everywhere is a ministry. And so um, the reason I took the step into vocational ministry was because um, it got to a point where the calling that he had on my life and how he shaped me, it was outweighing. I didn't feel uh, I had enough time to do both still 
successfully so okay. at the same time. There was just a limit, right? And um, and so I, I believe God gives us choices. And so we need some people to be um, really um, missionaries in the secular workplace. We don't need everybody to be in vocational ministry. We need everybody to be a minister, but we don't need everybody in vocational ministry. Okay. And so that's the that, that's the that's the difference. I believe. I, I believe. I don't do anything different in my job now as a as a vocational pastor than I did when I was in the the secular workforce as a chemical engineer. I okay. lived the same life. Yes. Okay. So how how hard was it for you to uh, give up that engineering position to become a pastor? You know what, man. So here's the deal. God worked on that over several years. Okay. And. You got to realize that I came from, at that point, I was the first one on my side of, uh, on, that I knew from both sides of the family to graduate college and all that kind of stuff. And I was making six figures. And the first thought was, was like, I worked all my life to get out of the hood. I never wanted to go back. Yes. I never wanted to, like, um, and so I dealt with, uh, part of the way that God has shaped me is to be real driven and that's a blessing to overcome some things but it's also a hindrance in that I had shaped my life around the achievement of different goals and what the world had defined as success Yes, and, and so he had to break me of that man and I read this I, I, I led my a group of college students through this book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan when it first dropped years ago. And it really, it, it challenged me beyond, it was one of those life-changing moments. And, it, and I, I started asking some questions of, if I really believe this stuff to be true, then how would my life look? And I was like, you know what, man, I, I've taken a lot of steps to not do certain things that I could have done or to do some things that others wouldn't do. And I said, you know what, either this this thing of following God is really real and I need to go all in or it's not. And I need to go be the biggest heathen I know and really go have fun. And then I and 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 I was like, you know, I started saying, like, I really like but my life is fun. I really do enjoy this. Yes. This is not like sacrificing fun to follow God. And so what am I doing? And so I said, God, send me somewhere. No one else wants to go to love on people. No one else wants to love on. And I said, God, help break me of um, the American dream and 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 help me to get to a point where I give to where it really hurts, where I really begin to know what sacrificial giving means. But still, I started to live that way, but I still couldn't give up my engineering job. And here's why I was I was. I was a full-time chemical engineer. I was active in the community. I was a youth pastor, and I was uh, an associate minister, youth pastor, different things of that nature. And I was going to Bible college or seminary at the same time. And um, one of the things you, I started to see was this. I still had a lot of uh, hero syndrome in me. Okay. And so I was still the hero of my story. And so I was like, but my chemical engineering job allows me to um, 
be so generous because I was living so far be, below my means that I was able to give so much away. And I said, I won't be able to help as many people, right? So like I was taking kids that I mentored on cruises for their senior trip. I was taking, I was, I was giving them experiences and investing That's in them like I had been invested in. Okay. And I thought I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Since I made the switch, well, one, I had to raise missionary support because I didn't have this big organization backing me or anything. I had, to, I had to sit down in front of family and friends and people I knew and say why you should invest in me and give to me. And now here's what I know. There was, there was old lady, there was senior citizens on fixed incomes that were given $20 a month. There was people, there was families who, was given, who were given $200 a month. I know, I know every $100 they gave was a pair of shoes their kids didn't get. Okay. And so I took it seriously, and I wanted to be a good investment for them in what I was doing. So I took it seriously. I had to raise missionary support, and I raised, here's, what, here's how I raised support. I said, I only want to make what a school teacher in my neighborhood makes. Okay. That's how I raised support, and I, live, I lived on that. I, I still have taken a vacation every year. I still live, live debt-free. And... My family is still sacrificially generous. Okay. And so that's why I had to get like it was it was God breaking me of me and of the American dream and of me trying to be the hero of my own story to see that I didn't need to be the hero because he had he was. His son Jesus Christ was the hero I had always been looking for. Because I'm just inadequate. I'm not shaped to be the hero. Okay. All right. So when you broke yourself or when Jehovah broke you. Basically, did you move down here to become a pastor, or were you a pastor no. somewhere else prior to this? No, I planted. Um, so I, I was doing all this. I started the whole movement. I sold most of what I own. I moved from a, a nice subdivision where I had a three bedroom, two bath house, and a brand new subdivision. I moved into some low socioeconomic apartments in, in a um, town called Freeport. And down where I lived at, started a church called Crossover and was 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 fully in doing ministry there. Had a great team of people that after and it took it took three years of just living in the community, building relationships and doing life with people before we ever launched the service. Okay, but we were we were baptizing people before we ever had a service. All right. We were doing stuff in the community like. The same things that we're doing here through both Scent and Fellowship High Crest, two different organizations, one non-religious, Scent is a non-religious community developed nonprofit, totally separate organization from Fellowship High Crest. And um, we were doing the same kind of things in Freeport, Texas, man. And and I love uh, Southern Missouri County will always have a part of my heart. They're great people, uh, great friends, people that supported me like none other. So I was doing that there. And then one day I got a call. Um, there were some different things that happened that, that brought about um, an end there um, to my time there and, and moved us here to Kansas. And then I got a call and, man, we started Fellowship High Crest. Actually, you know, starting a campus or a church plan is normally a year, two year project. But we we started this campus in, in four months. Okay. And we started sent in the same four months. So both launched in April 2018. And so we, we were able to start both the, the, the CDC and um, the campus in four months. 
Okay. Now, what, uh, as far as your ministry has been, what's been the most impactful and successful have your ministry been? I, I, I tell you, um, in every place I've been, I've seen, like when I was a, a youth pastor, I had students that were part of my um, student leadership team that they, one, we would always get a student ready to preach on Senior Sunday in May. But two, my student leaders, man, by the end, every summer, we would do a big community outreach. So um, one summer, there was a girl that was younger in our in our ministry, and her brother was in our youth group, but she was in children's ministry still, and she got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Okay. And her parents' job the insurance wouldn't pay for the insulin pump she needed. So she kept going in and out of the hospital. And I, I came in one day and I, I was talking to the youth and I'm like, man, this has been on the prayer request list forever. I'm like, when are we going to stop praying and get up off our knees and use the staff that God gave us? You know, the, the story from uh, with Moses in Exodus when he yes. was praying and God said, you know, use the staff that I gave you. And and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we start talking about it. And they said, well, how much is I said, well, 10 grand is needed for this insulin pump. They're like, well, how much are we going to raise? I'm like, 10 grand is needed. And a lot of the parents were like, man, we, you, you can't do this. You can't put that kind of goal in front of our kids. Those kids, I, I supported them. They organized a pancake breakfast and silent auction. Um, and within a, they had it organized within a month. They advertised it. They got it out there. And in a I think a four-hour event, they raised over $12,000, wow. and it changed their faith. The next summer, we did a thing called um, uh, Mow Therefore, which is a playoff for Matthew 28, Go Therefore. Yes. And that summer, our, our youth worship team performed at a coffee shop all summer on Wednesday nights, and then on Saturdays, our youth group went out and mowed front lawns for free to raise awareness about human trafficking. We partnered with IJM. Uh, international justice mission to raise awareness about human trafficking and then we started teaching people about how their choices in fair trade coffee and teas and chocolate could help reduce uh human trafficking and childhood slavery and stuff like that um I, my youth leaders after uh one of the hurricanes in galveston organized a mission trip it wasn't me organizing what what community organizations we partnered with in Galveston? They organized this family deal, and so those youth are still doing it now. Um, here at Fellowship Highcrest, we have a a teaching team that started with just like um, people like how do we read scripture? How do we go through that? And now they 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 are trusted as a part of our teaching team, and everywhere we've I've been, we've had those kind of investments. And so for me, success is not. Success is not butts and seats. Okay. Success is not dollars in a bank account. Success is measured by how you're willing to pour your life into others because that's what I saw Christ doing for us. And so the most impactful thing has been have been the, the people that have poured into my life and how I've reciprocated that by pouring into the lives of others. Okay. All right. What is the uh, hardest and most honest leadership critique your wife has ever given you man um me and my wife are shaped different my wife is a therapist okay and so um i'm a i'm a um, entj i'm a uh 
a visionary, different things of that nature. And I move like I, I like I move. I, I I'm a big vision person. I move. And so she she has been great in tempering how fast I move to help bring other people along. Okay. And so um, it's just just leaning into that and just um, being able to. She has helped me learn how to work better with people not shaped like me. Okay. Like I like before, I I had always been really good at. If you were a a net, like kind of you had that kind of wiring to be a leader, then I was we were probably going to do really well together and I was going we were going to see a lot of great things together but if you wouldn't didn't have that kind of wiring yes it, it was going to be kind of oil and water a little bit cuz I was going to move and I I wanted to go yeah. right like a lot of people talk fast and move slow right yeah but I'm saying like let, let's move and let's go and but she has really taught me I I felt like I've been a a a great leader my entire life. Okay. She's taught me how to be a better pastor. Okay. Because she's taught me how to be a better shepherd of people and care for people um, because of her, how she's wired. Okay. What, uh, how would you describe her and not in a physical sense, but besides what you just said, how would you describe her, uh, moving your life ahead and stuff and, and, and what your kids and, and taking on the, not only the, uh, fostering, but also the adoption aspect. Well, um, so here's the deal. Ministry can become an idol just like anything else. Yes. You can trade one set of goals for another set of goals. And so what she's continues like, like, continuously doing the spirit is continuously using her to remind me of what's important yeah um family is your first ministry and and so it's like taking that time with our own kids like my kids have a trauma background and different things they deal with so it's testing me on a whole new level like my like just growing in patience and just and just sitting in a space with a person yes um, I've probably cried more since we've had our kids than in, than I have probably maybe my whole life. And, and this is seeing murders, being on the run from drug dealers, all this other stuff I've experienced. I've probably yes. cried more with them because um, kids are where they're at. And you can't force them to be where they're not at. And, and, and loving people means sitting with them where they're at until God causes them to take another step. And, man, having those kids, like God is using those kids and my wife and my family to shape, uh, I'm just telling you. Yes. Um, when I got to the end of my life, if I wouldn't have been married or had my kids, I might have had a lot of trophies on the trophy case. But I probably would have had a lot more broken relationships. Yes. And and them being in my life and and God using oh, you you can boot it right now, but you're gonna have to wake up tomorrow and you're gonna have to look those same people in the face because they're not going anywhere. And that reality of that of 
everybody that 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 doesn't do what you want to do, that doesn't move how you want to move, you can't just just discard from your life. And you got to learn how to do life with with people who disappoint you. Yes. And that man, that that changes how you do life because now you're saying, is the is the goal, the end, or is it to make it through the journey together? My kids may never be a chemical engineer, they may never do all these things, but but they're already a success in in my in book. Heart. Yes, and so it, it's changing what like constantly challenging me to look at what i value okay all right what adversities uh i know you mentioned several of them before uh in your life that has really made you the person you are today what one adversity that you could actually pinpoint that you think made the most success you know, you know what? Um, being morbidly obese, man. Okay. So here's here's the deal: when you're morbidly obese, you have to think ahead. So like, I'm a planner, and I plan out. And, the, and, and my wife is like, "How do you?" And I'm like, "Because I was morbidly obese." So you got to think about: Hey, when I get there, is there going to be a seat big enough to hold me? Okay. Oh, how do I need to plan ahead? Or am I going to have to take the stairs? If so, I'm gonna be out of breath. And so I need to make sure I get there early enough so I can go slow enough or I can have enough time to catch my breath before I have to talk to folks. Or am I going to sweat? Do I need to bring another shirt? Do I need to make all these other plans around what I'm going to do? When you're a kid and you're you're overweight, man, kids can be cruel. And so they were going to come at you with with, uh, playing the dozens and stuff like that. I had to be quick on my feet to be able to reply. I I had to gather some resilience to be able to hear things that people said and know what was true and what what was not true. I had to be able to hear people say some stuff that were devaluing and still retain my value, right? I had to be willing um I had to I had to be willing to accept help because when I was in college, I couldn't fit in the desk that were in the lecture halls and so they always had to like put special chairs and tables in the room for me just to be able to get the education I needed. And and so I had to get over the stigma of me needing extra help to be able to function and, and be successful. And so those kind of deals, one, it, it made me consider others. Yes. It made me start thinking ahead and planning. It made me, my mom used to say, um, Bernard, that's my middle name, and, and she's like, Bernard, people think there's a there's a stereotype that big people are, are big and slouchy, but that doesn't ha- that doesn't have to be true. So I always earned my clothes. I always I, I, I always wanted the eyes cross I mean the eyes dotted and the T's crossed because I wanted to break all the stigmas. And and my mom just instilled that in me that because you come from a certain neighborhood, because your body is shaped like this, you don't have to be what people think you should be. You can be more. And so, man, that, that like, here's the deal. Even when it comes to this, and I know this ain't popular, right? Um, there were so many girls I liked and different things of that nature. And um, and even with being obese, I, I, I could have got into some things, but I made a goal in high school that I wanted to stay a virgin until I got married. Yeah. 
and I man, I, I really treasure with some of the other things I had going on going for me in life. Um, I think if I wouldn't have been obese, I wouldn't have made it to 35, getting married, and both me and my wife been able to say, like, yes, we were virgins till we got married, and we saved ourselves, and we walked in our beliefs. And I think, man, God gave me that thorn, so to speak, to help me walk through those years of my life and, and, and be obedient in that sense. And so, like, obesity was both a curse and a blessing to me in life. Okay. All right. As far as adversity and everything. Yeah. And just what it taught me and how it had to prepare me in, in different things that, that God showed me through that. Okay. Now, with your family and stuff, how do you uh, manage the time and, you know, between family, life, and, you know, being a pastor? You know what? Here's the deal is, one, that's still a challenge, but two is this. You, you, you have to stop trying to compartmentalize okay so i look at um like my teaching team they come over and have dinner with me and the kids i, I my wife works late on tuesdays so I, i'm over dinner with the kids and take over and and so we roll people into family time okay and so instead of saying this is ministry time this is family it's like no no so like i don't have a staff i have a family okay um jill rice is on our staff now her and her husband jay are my kids godparents okay so we like we're family we spend family time together do we sometimes talk about ministry stuff while we spend family time together yeah because all of life is ministry okay and so it, it's it's when i get out of the mindset of i'm trying to compartmentalize and separate and saying no all of my life is is being in obedience to god and living as a reflection of who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for me. And in the way I love my wife, in the way I parent my children, and in the way I do my vocation, in the way I have relationships with my friends and my family, all of it becomes ministry. And then now I'm not trying to cheat anybody. I don't have to cheat anyone because all of it is together. Okay. All right. So you say you don't have uh, staff. So how would you describe your ministry family, you know, as far as the help they give you? And, and look, look here, we we culture a an environment where we we um, we we we're really vulnerable and candid with one another. Okay. So we speak into each other's lives real like so even like my teaching team, they critique my sermons. Right. That's just that's just like real feedback, real critique. And um, we we are on there like, man, we are uh, their family. We like having fun together. We joke around together. So you can't be on our team if you don't like having fun and joking around. Um, like you're, you're not going to enjoy being on there because that's how we are. And we like doing things together. We grow together. We study books together. We I mean. We party together. Yes. Like, that is just a natural part. Of, we give gifts. We're generous toward each other. We care for one another. We pray for one another. We, like, my admin, Jenny Briggs, uh, she took another position. And we we still text and talk. Um, my, my new admin is about to come in and start. And she's been a part of the family. 
she went through the process like everybody else and now like i said i wasn't looking for a new staff member i was looking for a new family member and so that's that's one of those deals is it's and here's the deal when, when people are like man but you lost jenny i was like no we didn't lose jenny Highcrest is not a receiving church we're sending church yes our our biggest measure is going to be how many people we send that goal that's the goal is I, I hope at some point that none of my my core team my volunteer and staff team like i, I have volunteers that really operate like staff they're my brown to green team here I hope that none of us are on the same team at some point because that means that God has called them all to go do something greater and to lead teams of their own. I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Yes. I'm trying to work myself to where High Chris says, man, John, we love you. You've been good, but you need to go to the next place. We got this. Okay. All right. I, I think it's hard for a lot of leaders to understand that they're building leaders instead of keeping followers so so here's the deal like i tell everybody that i invest in that if if what i'm going to invest in you if i see that it's going to end with you then i won't invest yes i have to see the propensity in you to pour into others and if 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 you don't have the mindset that that you're that you're getting poured into in order to pour into someone else exactly then i can't i can't start this relationship because because the promise that was given to Abraham was this. He said, God said that he was going to bless Abraham so that Abraham, through Abraham, all of creation would be blessed. We were redeemed to redeem. And so, like, the mindset always has to be not about, for me, it's, it's what MLK said. He says, hey, I've been to the mountaintop. He said, I'm, I might not get there with you, but I've peered over and, and, and seen into the promised land. And so the, the thought might be that I'm making some investments now. I'm going to take some L's now so that you can cross over. Yes. And that's the, that's the mindset we always got to have in this thing. Yes. And, and that's in life, too, as far as situations. We won't get into it so much, but situations that is happening right now. We don't go out and preach and go out and, and march and stuff for us right now we got to understand is for the future of our kids or our the next generation man um when my mom was born overt racism was still legal um when my mom my mom has been born in a time period where i couldn't be married to my wife okay um when you see the different contributions and things that were that were done by generations before us for our benefit, um, if if you I, I tell our congregation here, if you can't take any L's, then you can't make any W's. Exactly. And so you you have to be willing to take some L's for those who follow behind you, because biblically you see this thing where every generation has responsibility for the next generation. Like some would say, the Joshua generation was the greatest generation, right? Um, but one of the things you see where they failed was this: you see a, a deal where um, you get to the book of Judges and write like in the second chapter of Judges, and it say after Joshua's generation died, the very the whole next generation rose up and didn't know the Lord. So as great as they were in taking over the land, they didn't operate in a way that where they mentored the next generation to where they would have the same relationship with 
God that they had that allowed them to do the things that they did in their generation. And that's why what you're doing here is so important. And that's why we always got to be thinking about we have to be thinking about the next generation and what investments we're doing, what moves we're making right now for the next generation that we might never take part in. The vision we have for this community is a 25 year vision. We're, we're playing we're we're playing 401k, not day trading. Yes. And, and, and so we have to be thinking we're going to be doing some things now that we're never going to reap the benefit of. And it's OK. Yes, it's definitely OK. And get into that where we're saying that uh, you're doing stuff now in this neighborhood. Uh, what is Scent Topeka? So, OK, I, I need to start here. Scent is a non-religious community development nonprofit. Okay. So where does this fit in? So when we define what is community development? So first you have charity and a lot of people rank on charity. And here's the deal. You need charity as one of the responses to needs in your community, because somebody will say, well, if you give a person a fish, they'll eat for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. But here's the deal. When my house burns down or I lose my job, I don't I don't necessarily immediately need you to help me write a resume. I need food and clothing and shelter. Yeah. That's charity. And, and so, so sometimes charity is the right answer. And when you come to me about some you need a better budget or you need a better resume when my house is burned down, you're being um, incapacitated. You're being you're not showing compassion. Yes. Right. And, but then you want to help people be more resilient to life happening because life happens. So that's where the individual development comes in. That's why you start teaching them how to fish. But then you can teach a person how to fish. And and here's the deal. They can get they can find out that even though they know how to fish, they they don't have access to the pond. That's where justice work comes in It is opening access to the pond. So, for instance, if I say, man, you know what? I'm going to go teach all these kids how to rivet and how to how to install rivets. Well, you know what? We're not in World War Two anymore and we're not making government planes and installing a lot of rivets. And so even though you. um I'm sorry, that, that's yeah. we're getting to community yeah. development. But so they can get jobs. We have affirmative action. I remember doing the justice part of it. I remember doing research on affirmative action in high school. And I came to the conclusion. I said, I wish we didn't need affirmative action. But I know that some of the opportunities I've gotten in this life have been because of affirmative action, because people on their own don't give up power. Exactly. For the sake of the others. They, exactly. Because everybody wants their son to sit on the throne. Yes. But you have to unrestrict the pond. But you can unrestrict the pond and get to the pond and see that there's no fish in the pond. That's community development. And so we can teach a kid how to rivet and then there no be no jobs for riveting. So then you got to teach them how to build their own pond, how to how to start their own, how to launch entrepreneurs. Yes. How to do all those. So scent is a it, our mission. Our, we stand for strengthening and equipping neighborhoods together. Community development uh, organizations don't go into the neighborhood with their own vision. They go in and they say, OK, what are the hopes and dreams of that community? And I'm going to use my resources and my platforms to help them realize all the hopes and dreams and different things they've always had. But they've had some kind of hurdle in front of them that kept them from accomplishing what they have always wanted to do. And I'm just I'm not going to go in and force anything on them. I'm going to go in and walk beside them and learn from them and listen to them. And, and then I'm going to see what I have and what I have access to and people I know who have access to it. And I'm going to champion them with everything I have to help them reach the goals that they always have had for themselves. 
Okay. And so that's what Senate's here for. And we have three major initiatives. Education, cradle to career. We want every kid in the high crest community. We're starting with the high crest community and we hope that it's a it's a pilot program for what we can replicate and give away all over. But we want every kid in our community to have a quality K through twelve seat in education. We want them to get access to whether it's tech or college or wherever they want to go and take their next step. The second one is business development. We we want business development includes not only entrepreneurs, but also housing. So we're in the process now of launching our first two entrepreneurs from the high crest community. Okay. Um, we own nine properties. Uh, we've, we've acquired nine properties. We've sold one of them already. We're in the process of trying to get more. We want to transform 15% of the housing in the high crest community. Um, Originally, the housing in from 29th to 37th, California to Kansas, there's 2,060 houses. And so we want to transform about 300 of those houses. That's not sent owning all of them. That's sent getting more property owners in here. Because when you look at the wealth gap in, in America, especially when it comes to minority, a lot of it was created because we weren't able to own property or had access to the same fair deals to own property that other ones. And so we didn't build up equity in the generations of our family that allowed us to make some of the moves to send people to college and do different things that we needed to do. And so we want to help close that gap. Why 15%? Because studies have shown when MLK marched, only like 10% of the country marched with them. Okay. If you get 15% of a group to, to make a change, the other 85% normally follows it. Okay. So we want to launch entrepreneurs. We want to transform and have affordable housing because what? That affordable housing and, and tax on, uh, homeowners build up a tax base which feeds the schools and education that makes the schools better. And then we also know that there's a link between um, low socioeconomic neighborhoods, long-term unemployment, and crime. So if you want to change crime, you have to address economic development. And then our third one is community wellness. And community wellness is not just reactive stuff, but we want to do some of that, but also proactive, like our high crest market. Like we, we've had two sessions. High crest now has its own farmer's market in that um, people are able to come and spend five or ten dollars, fill up a bag of produce that they choose. They get recipes how to use um, things that's in the bag that they choose that they haven't used before. So it's education vendors, people who have businesses have been setting up booths. They've been selling out of their products. So now you have economic development happening at the same place that you have community wellness happening and education happening. Okay. And so we, we also look at the mental emotional side. So we have relationships with different um, therapists in the area that are providing the, the social emotional stuff. Um, I, I have a semicolon on my tattooed on my wrist. It's from the time I considered suicide. And and so I'm in therapy. I continue to get therapy. Okay. And and so there's a stigma in especially in our communities, not only in, in, in the African American community, uh the black community, but also in the church community around maybe you're more spiritually weak or different things of that nature if you get therapy. And here's the deal, we all encounter life and there's a lot of things in life that we're not equipped to handle our own. We were never meant to be in, independent. We were always meant to be interdependent. And you need, God has shaped, just like he shaped me to be a pastor, he shaped some people to be therapists and, and clinicians to walk beside us as we encounter things that are so big that we don't even know how to digest them. Yes. 
And so we're like we're providing that we're we're helping to bridge the gap in that. That's a part of our community wellness because you have to be well in your mind and in your emotions in order to function in all these other places. And it doesn't make you weak; it makes you human. Okay. All right. Now you brought up uh, your farmers market. When is your farmers market? Is it every week? Or? No. It right okay. now is once a month. Our our next plan is to increase that to at least twice a month. Right now, I believe it's on the second. It's always on the second Saturdays right now. Okay. The next step is is going to be to increase that. But also, we're looking at having it to where um, we employ some people to make deliveries where people can order. Because of lack of transportation, and have people employed that make deliveries of the fresh produce to people's front door, okay. and so uh, man, we we're always looking at economic development as a part of all the things we do and how to create jobs and different things of that nature in our community. Um, we're not waiting for Superman. Like man, I like there's a lot of things that um, people are saying. Man, yeah, we, we the city needs a, a a trust fund to build homes. I agree. But until they create that, we're going to still transform houses. Man, the city needs a fund to uh, launch entrepreneurs. I agree. But until they create that, and, and even when they create that, we're going to still be launching entrepreneurs through our, our uh, organization. Here's the deal. Our, our vice chairman, Colin Ballou, is, is on, he's a contractor and on staff with the uh, Small Business Development Center. And so when someone comes through SENT to help launch their their business if they work with him they get access to all the resources that's that are a part of the small business development center okay so we we have the we have those kind of relationships where we're working that man where we're saying instead of saying what people should be doing for us we're saying we're going to start doing it and we're going to invite people to do it with us so when we sit down at the table there won't be an uneven power dynamic for our neighborhood, we're just inviting you to come partner and be a part of the experience. But but you won't be able to say you did this for us. Yes. You can say, and we welcome you to say you did this with, with us. us. You walked and, and, there's, us. and that's, that's a difference, <clears throat> man. It's like, there's a difference that comes with when you're sitting at the table and you feel like you have a real influential seat that matters at the table that you help build. Yes, exactly. And not just at a table that where your feet are dangling from the chairs. Yeah. Or you're there <laughs> just just for show. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh now you 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 mentioned transform the community and you mentioned that y'all purchase houses and stuff. Do you currently transform those houses? Yes. So so we have um one, we we bought a house. So here's the deal. Um, when we first started talking about this, people were like, man, just throw some paint on some houses and move on. Uh, people in High Crest, uh, you know, no one ever, like, do you know the history of the High Crest neighborhood? People won't invest in there. And I'm like, um, okay, the kind of house that you're talking about, do you want to live there? Well, no, no. Well, why do we want to build that in our neighborhood? Why do we want that in our neighborhood if it's something that you don't want? Yes. Um, so that talks about how people value folks. Also, in the things that we do, we don't start with the mindset that we got to do something in a certain way. People will structure programs so that people don't take advantage of it. If your first thought is we got to keep people from taking advantage of it, it tells what you think yes. about the people. Exactly. 
And so um, we have some rental properties that we have rehabbed and that we rent. Topeka Housing Authority right now, they they manage our properties for us because we're, we're still a young nonprofit. Yes. Um, we, we built the first new construction in the High Crest neighborhood in over 60 years. So we bought a, a property for $1,000. The city partnered with us and demoed it for free for us um, through their program that they have out there that's accessible to other to people. Other people, yeah. Um, and we built a house for $146,000 and sold it for $110,000. Okay. So when you look at this, um, affordable housing, the way it's done across the country is there's a three-way partnership that yes. happens. It's the person who buys it. And so you have to have it where the person who buys it can can pay what they can pay. Then you have philanthropy, that's donations and different things of that nature. And then you have different tax breaks and partnerships with local government. These two pieces help you close the gap between what it costs to build overall yes. and what this person can afford. Man, we want to get to the point where we're we're in the eighty five thousand dollar mark. Okay. But it's gonna take us getting and developing those relationships to really get there. And right now we we own the house right next door to that one also. And so we're in the middle of transforming that house was was a three one with small bedrooms. We're transforming it into a spacious two two that that a young couple would love because it has it's gonna have so much entertainment space. It's gonna have a new patio. The the privacy fence is almost up already. We're hoping that that it has a stone. Um, we're redoing the the driveway and all the cement and sidewalks. It has a stone mailbox now. It, it's going to be beautiful, and it's right next door to that real new build. build. Okay, and and it's right across the street from Betty Phelps Park. So and and so we're doing a gut rehab on that, and so we're hoping that's going to be on the market by the end of August, beginning of September. And so we're continuously doing that. We're continuously looking at people to donate properties um, to us that we can transform in the neighborhood. And we're not trying to make this this big um, profit on it. We're doing it to um, get people in homes that they can afford. And and we use the rental income that we have because some people need to rent. We we use that to keep operating. Okay. So yeah. Okay. In that, man, we hope to get to the point where we have our own construction crews, where we have our own lawn care business that launches out of that. We're, we're, all, we're all about creating jobs and creating opportunities, giving people, helping people get skills that can carry them on for a lifetime. Okay. Now, uh, is there somewhere um, that our listeners could find you and uh, sent uh, as far as social media yes. and high crest? Yes. You know? So um, for Scent, you just you can go. The best place to go is to our website, ScentTopeka.com. We have a Facebook page. You can message. Our, we have a wonderful um, executive director, uh, director Nikki Ramirez Jennings is our okay. executive director. Tim Vincent, he lives right on the um, fence line of Avondale East, actually, in in Highcrest, also. And so um, uh, he's our construction manager around our housing stuff. Um, and so, but if you go to our website, there's a, there's a contact us. And if you want to get involved, you go involvement. There's a way you can sign up to volunteer and be involved with the different things we're doing. You can also, like I said, go to Facebook. We have, and Scent also has an Instagram page for Fellowship High Crest. Um, you can look up Fellowship Bible Church High Crest Campus on social media. You can also go to fellowshiphighcrest.com and get with us there. Um, and so you can, you can contact us and get with us either about either, either place um during that okay now as far as uh 
could you spell scent and could you spell high crest? Because okay. I know with my name, I have to spell it out to people because yes. it's spelled different than what it's, it's actually saying. It'll be www.scenttopeka.com. Okay. And then Fellowship High Crest, it'll be www.fellowshiphicrest.com. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would want our listeners to know? No, I just just stay watching. We we have some big things in the works. Um, continue to be involved. Get involved. Like, man, we we want you to be involved. There's so many different ways you can be involved. We we do need monthly financial supporters. You can be involved with with that, with that. You can uh, catch up with Nikki. Uh, we're we're looking for um, new board members, man, and to add to the board of scent and different things and. If, um, but we're a working board. You need to know that. We're a working board. Okay. It's, it's not just a, um, I'm on the board, I got a title, I can say I'm like, we're, we, we are a working, grinding board. Okay. And so, um, and so just be on the watch for that and be a part of it. We would love to have a conversation with you and, and invite you in for you to be a part. And you don't, you don't have to live in the High Crest community to um, be involved with either Fellowship High Crest or with Scent. Um, man, we, we are trying to get more people to move into the neighborhood. Like that's a part of, I live in the neighborhood. Um, all of my staff right now lives in the neighborhood. And, and so we, that's, that's an important because you put some scratch in the game. There's a difference between saying, um, I believe, uh, your neighborhood can be transformed and, and saying, I believe our community can be transformed. There's a difference between saying those two, because we start putting some scratch in the game. Um, when I say I believe in 501 schools. Uh, and, and what Dr. Anderson is leading there, um, when I say, yeah, my kids are in 501 schools, that adds some scratch and some, some credibility to the statement that I'm making. And so, um, but you don't have to live in to be able to do it, like to, to be able to support. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can be involved with this, and we want to invite you to be involved with it. Okay. What are the boundaries of High Crest? Uh, the boundaries of High Crest, as, de- as defined by the city, are 29th to 37th. Uh, California to Kansas. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, closing out question is one I ask everyone is, uh, if you could put a billboard up in any city, where would you put it and what would it say? Mm. So the, 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 the thing I've been saying is, uh, you know, the city of Topeka had to choose Topeka yes. campaign. Yes. And I say this, hi, Chris. So when you look at the city of Topeka, only – the city of Topeka's makeup, uh, African-Americans make up about 9%. Yes. Um, but when you look at the high crest community, we're a third, a third, a third. Third white, a third Hispanic, a third black. Yes. We're one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the city. We're one of the most dense neighborhoods in the city. And we're one of the most transient neighborhoods in the city. So if you really want people to choose... Topeka, we need to start by choosing High Crest. Okay. Because we're going to be sending more people than most other neighborhoods in the city. We're going to have more people that we come in contact with than most neighborhoods in the city. And you're going to get a a more diverse group of people here than most places in the city. And so if we can see High Crest transform, what would people not believe is capable in the city of Topeka? Okay. Choose high, Chris. 
Okay. Make the investment. So so your sign would be choose high crest? Choose high crest. Make the investment. Make the investment. Where would it be located? Man, I would I would put it on every exit ramp coming in and out of this joker, man. <laughs> All right. Because I, I, I truly, I'm, yes. I tell people this. I, I shop in high crest. Mm-hmm. I, I have my lunch dates in high crest. I do everything I can in High Crest. Why? Because I believe High Crest is the greatest neighborhood this side of New Jerusalem. Okay. All right. And so I like I, I do. I'm like, I found what I'm looking for. Yes. Until until he calls me there, I found what I'm looking for in High Crest. Okay. So All right. Yeah. That's usually our closeout question, but I have one more question for you. When you were brought here or when you came here, uh with this job or with being a pastor did someone show you high crest or how did you find high crest so here's the deal they told me about high crest and then hold on I, let me let me interrupt you real quick okay was high crest on a mission to start a church or, or was fellowship on a mission to start a church over here in high crest or did you choose to put it here in high so crest? what okay. happened um the rescue mission was doing work like they what happened was the rescue mission was seeing that high crest was the last stop that people were making before they entered the rescue mission okay and it was the first stop out of the rescue mission a lot of times okay and when somebody was getting ready to come life was falling apart and getting ready to come back to the rescue mission high Chris was usually that that last spot and so they said man there has to be something about the neighborhood so if we can get there and start doing some work there maybe we can stop uh the resistivity of of people coming in out of the rescue mission and when they started the work they invited Fellowship Bible Church to be a part of the work. And so, man, they were working in the neighborhood five years before we started the campus. Okay. And I think it was around five years, and they had net reach and different things here. But the the rescue mission, and man, Barry Feeker leading in a great way, great partner in the city, they do great work. They said, hey, we're a rescue mission. We're not a development organization. There's a rescue missions provide relief. Yes. And when Barry Feeker first started bringing people over, they didn't even know where the high crest community were was. And so he started raising awareness to the issues that have been long overlooked. And so I'm thankful for both Barry and, and his team and NetReach team and all they did that came before us. I'm thankful for Fellowship Bible Church. I'm thankful for all like Marcus Clark and all those other organizations, um, Pastor Stanley all those guys who in their wives and Miss Stanley and, and all of them that invested and, and all the people who have been investing for years in high Chris and doing work. What we're able to do now is built on the shoulders of people who've been, been investing before I was born in high Chris okay. and, and, and I have always believed. And so um, they got to a point where they said, Hey, we need to make our exit strategy. And there needs to be development that happens, but we don't feel like we're the best ones to do it. And so they approached FBC about the opportunity to continue to work. And then FBC looked at themselves and they said, hey, we really we really don't have the makeup and and, and to lead. We, we don't feel like we currently have the personal staff to lead this effort. Okay. And so um, they reached out to one of my friends from college who's doing the same kind of work in, in North Tulsa. 
in the in the Black Wall Street area of Tulsa that we're hearing about now. They've been grinding for years there and doing wonderful work. Crossover Bible Church. Go check them out. And um, he said, I know a guy, but he's doing work in Texas. I don't know if he'll come. And David Hinkle reached out to me. Um, we had a conversation. And my wife was like, hey, why don't you just listen? And, um, and so I, I listened. And, man, on my trip here, I got I got to minister to some kids and I got to tell some some young African American teenage boy. It was it was a couple of young on my last night here. Really it was I met it was late one night. I met three teenage boys. I asked them about their story. They shared their story. I shared mine. I shared the gospel with them and I told them that I loved them. Okay. And I said, uh, I know I don't know, know you that, that long, but man, I see value and worth in you. And I gave them my information, and I said, even if I don't take this job, I'm willing to help you take whatever your next step is. And I couldn't shake my experience with those three young teenage boys. And they were, they were crying that night, man. And I asked uh, Jeremy Wynn, who, who was hosting me on my interview trip, what was going on. He said, I don't know if they've ever had another adult male tell them that he loved them. And um, I couldn't shake that experience. And that's why I'm in Topeka. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to end on that. Uh, well, that's today's for... Well, that's all for today's episode of Black Mentors, a production of Wasteland Media, LLC. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Pastor Jonathan Sublett for joining me today. Make sure you follow us here every Wednesday as we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truths of black males from all social economic backgrounds. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Please subscribe to the podcast on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and stay tuned for a new episode every Wednesday.